the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. The number one quality about David is that he was quick to be convicted about things, including his sin with Bathsheba, because as soon as he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba, he was quick to repent and to be sorry and to be remorseful over that whole thing. He didn't try to justify it. He didn't try to make excuses. I mean, he was quick to be sorry. This is why, you know, God loved David so much because David had a heart for God. There is no getting around sin in our lives. It is an inevitable thing that we all do and experience the effects of because our world is broken. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that even though we can't escape sin, we can still repent of it. We can trust that the God of the universe has a plan. Whether you are battling sin in your own heart or are getting the blunt end of someone else's sin affecting you, we all have to face it. But the hope that the Bible brings is that we don't have to face it alone. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And let's pray. Lord, it is good just to settle our hearts before you, Lord, and to pray that you'd speak to us through this ancient text, which, which is really timeless, Lord, because you've given us your word to reveal yourself to us, to help us, to equip us, to teach us, Lord, to instruct us. So we just pray that you would use your word to speak to us as you know that we each need it best. Be glorified through our worship, and now as we study your word together, we're thankful people in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. So we have been looking through 1 Samuel, and we are in the chapters dealing with David really running for for his life from King Saul, who is trying to kill him because Saul is simply intimidated by him and threatened by David because David is more popular in the nation of Israel at this time than Saul is himself. Saul is a very tormented man, literally tormented, just mentally, spiritually, physically, in every way. And he's brought it on to himself because he's disobeyed the Lord. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. And so there's enough hardship in this world, right? We don't need to add to our own hardship by disobeying the Lord. Because that's what ends up happening. We invite more hardship into our lives than we need to when we disobey the Lord. And that's the case 
with Saul. And so David is in his early 20s, early to mid-20s at this point, running from Saul and finding caves in the wilderness. And uh, God is going to teach David much during these wilderness years when he is on the run. You know, God, C.S. Lewis, I'm going to paraphrase something he once said. C.S. Lewis once said something to the effect of God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he speaks with a megaphone in our pain. Because it is often during the difficult times that we hear God loudest. And so as David is like, you know, running for his life, he writes many of the Psalms. And we've been weaving the Psalms in through these chapters. Uh, And chapter uh, 63 of Psalms is one of those chapters that he writes when he's down in this region of the Dead Sea. And again, for those of you who have been with me to Israel, this is one of the places we stop along the way, the spring of En Gedi. En Gedi means the spring of the wild goats, These the ibex, the geddes, the goats that are there uh, in Israel, little tiny hooves. They can walk on little four-inch cliffs around the side of the mountains. And um, this is where David would hang out because this was the only fresh water source down by the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is 37% salinity. The Atlantic Ocean is only 3%. The Dead Sea is the saltiest body of water on the earth. It is the lowest point on the earth. And uh, so there's, you know, you can't be drinking out of that sea. You got to be drinking out of fresh water. And this is where David would find refuge. This is where he would find solace and comforts, this little oasis in the middle of a desert. That's why he would write part of Psalm 63, which says that, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And God visits him during these times when he is running from Saul. And so we pick it up here in chapter 24, verse 1, and it says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told to him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of and Gedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. Again, Gedi, the wild goats, and means spring, spring of the wild goats. So Saul takes, so Saul's king here, he takes 3,000 chosen men. So these are, this is the delta force of the Israeli army. And he takes like this special ops and he's going to go after David. 3,000 soldiers, kind of a little overkill, right? You know, you're just looking for one guy who shouldn't really be your enemy. He's a fellow Jew who's been a hero of Israel. He's, David has killed Goliath. Like you should be embracing this guy. But instead, because of Saul's paranoia and his insecurity, he's on the hunt trying to kill him. And he takes 3,000 of the Delta force of the Israeli army to try to go after him. And verse 3 says, and so he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Okay? Does everybody get this? That's a subtle way of saying you had to go to the bathroom. If you have a King James Bible, King James says Saul went in the cave to cover his feet. Okay? The, the old King James is even trying to be even more delicate. What does it mean to cover his feet? How does that relate to going to the bathroom? Well, because... Ladies, you know, you know, you guys do it a little bit differently. You got because if you're wearing dresses, you got to pull up. But guys, drop down, and so you know, Saul Saul drops trowel and he covers his feet. So he's got to do his business. Now I don't know how to say this, you know, delicately, but he's going in a cave. Now listen, he's got his three thousand soldiers with him, but he's like, you guys stay out here. I got to do my business, right? And so don't you all come in here. 
Now, it tells us parenthetically right there at the rest of verse 3 that David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave, of that cave. Saul chooses the cave where David and his men are hiding. Now, please take note, David's ragtag group of soldiers that have followed him, number 600, this is a huge cave. There are many caves in that whole region of the Dead Sea. In fact, Qumran, the famous cave where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, there are various caves down there, and uh, there are very large caves, and this cave is so large that David and his army of 600 men are way in the back of this cave that Saul just so happens to pick in order to go to the bathroom. Okay, and so so now and Saul doesn't know this. So but this is going to be this opportune time because you got 3000 soldiers who are outside of the cave. And now David is inside the cave with his soldiers. And verse four says, then the men of David said to him. So you got to picture this scene. You know, it's like it's dark and, you know, it's way in the back of the cave and they're whispering now. And, and David's men said to him, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as it seems good to you. Okay, so his, his soldiers, buddies are saying to him, like, this is, this is a God-ordained moment. Like, like, we couldn't have orchestrated this any better. Like, here we are in the back of the cave. It just so happens that Saul picked this one to do his business, so now you can go kill him. Kill the guy who's trying to kill you. This is like God's appointed moment. Now, David's hearing this. This is the counsel that he's getting. And it says, and David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. All right, now, Saul has taken his robe off. It's not like, you know, he's, he's still wrapped in the robe and David comes up, you know, by his ankles. I mean, he's taken his robe off, and, but it still is, you know, David's like a ninja. Like, how, you're, you're in a cave where there's, like, rocks and gravel and, you know, dirt, but he manages to make his way undetected right near where Saul's going to the bathroom. And he takes a knife and he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe and says, now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. And so David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way, completely undetected. So there's this conscience-stricken moment with David. And this is what you have to love about this guy. You know, David has a lot of flaws, too, like we all do. You know, he's, he's probably best known for his affair with Bathsheba. But I got to tell you something. The number one quality about David is that he was quick to be convicted about things, including his sin with Bathsheba, because as soon as he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba, he was quick to repent and to be sorry and to be remorseful over that whole thing. He didn't try to justify it. He didn't try to make excuses. I mean, he was quick to be sorry. This is why, you know, God loved David so much because David had a heart for God. And even though he was a man with clay feet like the rest of us, he was a man who was very sensitive in his heart to the things of God. 
so that as soon as he did something that he was convicted about, he, he, he was quick to, to repent of that. And so despite the fact that his soldiers had given him this counsel, like this seems to be a God-ordained moment, like you've got the guy who's trying to kill you alone. He has no soldiers with him. He's by himself in the same cave. This is your opportunity. And David, you know, sneaks up on Saul and he, and he, and he tests it. He cuts off, you know, a part of Saul's royal robe. But at that moment, he's convicted. And why is he convicted? He's convicted because, listen, God has appointed Saul to be king for such a time. And even though Saul has been disobedient to God, it is God's prerogative when he's done with Saul to replace him with David. And until God does that, David realized, I have to still honor the office of the king. And this is an important principle, and we've been sharing different principles through these chapters. So for you note takers, here's a principle out of chapter 24. Even if you don't respect the person, you should show respect for the position of authority. And that's why David refers to him as God's anointed. He is still king. Now, he's, he's not a good king. But we need to understand when you look at the totality of Scripture that God even allows, listen to me on this, God even allows sometimes corrupt, sinful, wicked kings to be on the throne because God is going to accomplish his purposes through them. And we see it in the Bible. See Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a a pagan king, and God used that pagan king. You see the same with Cyrus and Darius in Persia. And yet Daniel was very faithful to God during that time, and Israel was being purged of idolatry while they were subjugated to wicked kings. And so there are times that God allows, okay? He allows people to be in positions of authority because he's trying to teach people some things in the process you know and Daniel would write in Daniel chapter 2 God raises up kings and God deposes them like this is God's prerogative and Saul was God's chosen man for the hour and God is still training David and equipping David to become king a few years later But he's working out things in the nation and he's working out things in David's heart to move him from a shepherd to a king. And those things, that process cannot and will not be rushed. And David realizes this. He's like, you know, my time is not yet. I know I've been anointed as the next king of Israel. But for the time being, Saul is that anointed man. Now, this should free us, friends, because listen, every person that is in political office, may not be the person you necessarily voted for. Guess what? You still have to respect that office. And you have to realize that God is accomplishing his purposes, even through wicked kings. So both righteous kings and wicked kings, God uses for his purposes. And he's not done with Saul. And David realizes this, and he's conscience-stricken here. And he calls Saul, the Lord's anointed, even refers to him as my master. Now, that's just a a title of respect. He realizes that until he becomes king himself, he needs to respect the office of the king, even though he doesn't respect Saul himself. And David restrained his servants. That's that's his army uh, with these words. He says, you know, guys, I just can't do this. It's not right. I can't take matters into my own hands. I'm going to have to wait on the Lord. And so verse 8 says, David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My lord the king. 
And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, now again, that's just respecting his elder, he's not really his father, Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog, a flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So this is, you know, a very honest thing that David is saying here to Saul. Um, He took a little bit of a risk. I mean, because now he's showing himself, and Saul, if he was really bent on killing David, could have taken the opportunity to go ahead and kill him. But David uses the moment to say, look, do you realize, look, see, I got a piece of your your robe in my hand that I cut off. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Because you're believing lies from people around you that somehow I'm, I'm here to overthrow you, and I'm not, you know. And he bows to the ground, and he calls him my Lord, small L, and he calls him my father, small, small F, that he's, he's just really respectful, even though this is the guy that's been trying to kill him. And, you know, David understands something. Even though he has been anointed as the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel, when David was like 10 to 15, somewhere in that age range, he, he realizes that there's a waiting with the Lord. And so it, there's a, another principle out of this chapter from what David said there. Wait on the Lord with prayer. Wait for the Lord with patience. See, he, he was understanding what patience was with the Lord. God never operates, it seems, on our timetable, does he? But his timing is always perfect. And so there are things in your life that maybe you're waiting for and you're wondering why hasn't this happened or that happened and how long is God going to take before he answers this prayer and, and, and yet God's timing is always perfect. But in our culture, because we want things so rapidly, you know, we have instant rice. We have, you know, you know, everything's instant now. Instant pudding, instant oatmeal. You know, I remember the day you to, when you had to cook those things. And now, now you just like in a minute, it's all done for you. And so now we think that God's going to operate that same way like he does oatmeal. Like it doesn't work that way. Like God takes his time to do things according to his will and his timing. But his timing is always perfect. And to rush things often messes it up for us. Remember Abraham and Sarah? Like God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah, which wouldn't happen for like another 25 years. And in the process, they're getting impatient. And Sarah says, you know what? Uh, Abraham, you're not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger. God doesn't seem to be bringing us a child. Maybe you should go ahead and sleep with my maidservant, Hagar. And Abraham, being the righteous man that he, does, that he is, he's just like, well, you know what? 
Sounds like a good idea to me. And so it's like, what? You know, wait, wait a minute. That's not what God had in mind. That's not what God had in mind. But, you know, he saw an opportunity and Sarah was all for it. So he took it. And then he and then out of that came Ishmael and Ishmael. And then later, when Sarah did conceive and Isaac was born, you had the whole conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. It's called the Middle East War. That's what's happening today because of that. So you, you can't rush what God wants to do. You got to wait on God's timing. And we have to learn this. David was learning it. You know, I'm waiting on the Lord with prayer, but I have to wait for the Lord with patience. Well, so it was, verse 16, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Look what a tormented man he is, right? He can't decide whether he wants to kill this guy or hug this guy. And he's just, you know, now he's, he's weeping here. Verse 17, and then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? And therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. Which, by the way, David had already sworn, but the next verse says, And so David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So they, they took refuge in, in the caves there, in that, in that vicinity, in that region. So, you know, this, th- this is uh, just a very conflicted man, to say the least, Saul. Um, he goes from, you know, rage to weeping. And... Um, and it's really a commentary on a sad life. And unfortunately, you know, he's not going to stay so um, kind to David. Uh, the, fl- the, the switch flips again, and uh, he will still pursue David later. But for the moment, there's like uh, some kind of a truce here. And David goes on his way, and Saul goes on his way. Now, chapter 25, verse 1, is a sad note because it says, Then Samuel died. This is the prophet Samuel. He died. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So this is the end of, of Samuel here. And this is the end of an era because Samuel is the last of the judges. And things will transition now to prophets and kings. And, um, and God will use the prophets to speak to the kings. Uh, ultimately, God desired to be king of Israel, but because the people wanted a king like the foreign nations around them. That's why God gave them Saul. God's going to give them David. Um, and there will be a succession of kings. There's going to be civil war in the days following Solomon. And the kingdom's going to get divided. But this is the end of an era with, with Samuel's passing. Samuel was a very unique man in the Bible in that um, he had a very unique and tender relationship with the Lord his God. Uh, in fact, in... 
Uh, Jeremiah 15, verse 1, the prophet Jeremiah records the words of the Lord when the Lord was upset with Israel because of their disobedience as a nation. And God said through Jeremiah, chapter 15, verse 1, he said, even if Moses and Samuel stood before me, my mind would not be favorable towards this people. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of the king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.